Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate that everything, simply everything you can possibly think of, has its own history, like fish, mumbling and electricity. I don't think we'll do it. I don't think we'll do the entire podcast in mumbles. I think that would be terrible. We could, however, do U-turns, sideburns and the history of gurns. Would you like to do this? The history of gurning, I think, would be superb. I don't, I don't really know how we would do it. Have you got a, any making. idea? Yeah. Um, face or, making. Yeah, facial distortions. Yes, yes and, but it's all to do with facial... Um, uh, is communicating with the face. We've kind of done it before, haven't we? So it's non-verbal, communicate, yes. non-verbal communication. Um, making faces, I yes. suppose. We could, do, yeah. we could do the history of rubber, and then we could do rubber faces. Something like that. I'm <laughs> sure we'd find a way of getting around it. I think we should do U-turns, <laughs> which is all about Mrs Thatcher and contemporary politics in the United Kingdom at the moment. However, this is to digress monstrously, as ever, as ever, Sam. We're always digressing monstrously, because what we will be doing is following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining very carefully indeed how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, who knew that the history of disbelief is in fact all about abortion rights and the overturning of Roe versus Wade by the US Supreme Court. It's about the first use of poisoned gas in the trenches and first-hand witness accounts of people not being able to believe their eyes. It's also about atheism and a disbelief in God. Who knew? Or who knew that the history of hunger is in fact all about free school meals, which meanders from the 1941 free school meals policy via Maggie Thatcher milk snack to Marcus Rashford and Jamie Oliver in more modern history. It's also about Che Guevara's motorcycle diaries, famine, ancient manuscripts of Timbuktu, hungry ghosts and the hunger strike in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. Who knew? All fascinating stuff, isn't it? Well, let me just tell you about my fellow presenter. You're probably wondering who he is. Well, for this episode, let me simply say that he is far too sensible and wise to even consider a podcast on the history of idiots. He is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James Daybell. Hello, James. Hello, Sam. Uh, And you may well be wondering, who is that unattributed voice so ably helping Daybell co-pilot this very episode? Well, let's just say that if he were in idiot-related historian, he'd be the exact opposite of the useful idiot duped into passing policies for his so-called friends. No village idiot is he, the brains and intellectual brawn of the historical world. In fact, you yourself would be imbecilic to doubt his immense historical prowess. Yes, you've guessed it, it's the famous historical adventurer himself, Dr Sam Willis. 
Hello everyone, uh, good to be back and today we are doing a podcast on the history of idiots. Um, I, I almost can't believe we haven't done this yet but we haven't done it and it was inspired by James and I just uh, musing on British politics which uh, for those of you who don't know seems to have gone down the pan quite spectacularly recently um, with some pretty poor economic thinking and so james suggested we do among other things u-turns silences and idiots and so we've chosen to do idiots uh, this is 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 for you uh, our chancellor quasi thank you well done quasi it, it is and it, it's actually in honor of a daily express headline uh, which reads quarteng labeled useful idiot by guests at budget day party who gained from crash in other words what what they're arguing is that in fact it's his hedge fund cronies who have been pushing a particular branch of the tory party in the united kingdom to reduce taxes to sort of free up uh, legislation so that people and, and and lawmaking and regulation so that it sort of frees up that supply side of the economy knowing fairly well that the pound would tag <laughs> would collapse and then they would bet <laughs> against it and um and make a fortune out of it um mm. perish the thought but anyway whether we whether we agree with that as a as a headline or not it is because it is that that's what made us think about this idea of of idiocy or the history of idiots and it is in fact a term that was coined in russia so the idea hmm. is that basically a useful idiot is the is a term for somebody that basically um f supports a cause and often a really bad cause that's often seen as something quite sinister without really knowing why they are supporting it <laughs> or not knowing the sort of underlying goals it's a term yeah. it's a term that was thought to have been attributed to vladimir lenin although there's no real evidence for that and then it's a term that's used from as early as the mid 19th century but also then in relation to the cold war um throughout the cold war period for people who didn't really know what they were what they were voting for um in fact, it also came up in one of in my favourite favourite possible uh, podcast, other than our podcast. But my favourite <laughs> podcast at the moment is the Rest is Politics, which is amazing. Um, Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart uh, agreeing disagreeably. Um, they somebody wrote in and accused Rory Stewart of being Alistair Campbell's useful idiot, <laughs> a sort of a former Tory who was basically helping in a sort of unwitting way uh, to get <laughs> Labour re-elected. So it's like if you haven't listened to this podcast, listen to it. Um, my only problem with it is that it doesn't come out daily i'm literally it's so good that i'm literally hanging on my podcast app waiting for it to drop there have been three three episodes this week superb sam you should listen okay i will I, i'm, I'm it's, not that I, I, I don't know i can't cope with politics i could I, i'm quite interested in american politics british politics just drives me up the wall i find it um i kind of shelter myself from it I'm, beca so I'm becoming a political junkie at the moment. I can't get enough of politics um, at the moment. It's my it's my favourite thing other than history. 
Oh, well. Oh, now, I know. Um, idiot, idiots, we specifically uh, chose it in terms of, of, of labelling someone, using a, a kind of a very modern expression of the word idiot. We, you know, we thought what was happening was idiotic. It had been not thought through um, and it was just, it was plain stupid. But I think it is quite important to say at the beginning that the term idiot has actually got a very uh, long and pretty complicated history i mean james has touched on this uh, useful idiot size of things and side of things and how it was used in the cold war and I, I wanted to to look back at how it was used in the 19th late 19th and early 20th century specifically in legal and psychiatric context when it was actually a a a very specific term relating to a certain uh, measure of intellectual disability um, and it, it was actually very concise. It, it, an idiot uh, related to someone who had a mental age which was less than two years, and it was for a person that couldn't guard themselves against common physical dangers. So someone who was vulnerable. And it goes alongside various other terms which have fallen into common use, uh, like moron, imbecile, and cretin, all of which had, again, specific um, uh, meanings in term in, in in psychiatric context, but all of which have now moved on to be uh, seen as um, as offensive and an archaic uh, an archaic term. Um, but it wasn't just in in the UK. I was found a really interesting thing, James, saying that in uh, the California Penal Code um, until two thousand and seven, it stated that idiots was one of six types of people not capable of committing crimes. Um, and that's since been amended to read persons who are mentally incapacitated. Now, the history of all of this is particularly interesting. It takes us back to a chap called Henry Goddard, who is an American. Um, and he was very careful in introducing different terminology based on people's IQ. Now, the 20th century, we need to bear in mind that IQ testing itself was a new field. This all kind of grew up at the same time. Um, and he specifically thought that the, uh, or described an idiot as someone with an IQ of less, well, less than 25, from 0 to 25. Above that was imbecile, and above that was a moron, uh, someone with an IQ of 51 to 70. Now, it helps understand all sorts of things this introduction of intelligence testing um which i thought was was extraordinary i'd love to do more work into it but primarily the um immigration program on ellis island in 1913 so before any kind of scientific attempt at intelligence testing they were uh, the um immigration officers there were judging who could be brought into america or not um, without any kind of uh, scientific help or measure. They were simply doing it as uh, in a subjective way on who was at the term was the term at the time feeble minded. Um, and so this guy, Henry Goddard, among the many things he did was to introduce uh, tests uh, for Ellis Island. And this was 1913. So it's around about the same time he also introduced tests for the army because one of the problems they've got is with so many people in America trying to be recruited for the army for the First World War was working out who could be put in charge of people. And they decided to do that with these newfangled intelligence tests. And it actually worked very well. And they ended up um, using them uh, pretty successfully to screen men for officer training. So um, 
Yeah, I just wanted to start off, James, by just explaining how it does have a, a history in terms of psychiatry. It has a very specific definition, and that the whole history of idiocy, as it was termed, is uh, intricately linked with intelligence chair tests, um, which have come on to be very, very important in the history of the world. Yes, I, th- I think it's also a term. It's a term nowadays that we need to be very careful about using because, in contemporary usage, it is a pejorative term. So, it is, in other words, a, a term of abuse. Um, and so, as a historian, you need to be very careful about using that kind of terminology. But I think what we're doing is we're trying. We we started off with the way in which it is being used in political debate nowadays, and the way in which it has had an interesting use in in politics to demonise you know, particular sort of political um, actors in the past. But as you say, it has this really interesting history. I was reading a fascinating book uh, called Those They Called Idiots, The Idea of the Disabled Mind from 1700 to the Present Day by a brilliant historian called Simon Jarrett. This came out with, by Chicago, with Chicago University Press, and it is absolutely fascinating because what it does is it starts it starts actually just prior to the period that you were talking about, Sam, in the 19th century um, and into the 20th century. It starts with the 18th century and look, follows, and it's based in England and it goes, you know, through to the present day. And what is really fascinating about it is how definitions and attitudes and practices towards idiocy over those four centuries has changed. So if you start with the 18th century, this is when idiots, in other words, people who were, you know, thought to have learning disabilities, um, which become sort of medically defined later on, as you were, as you were arguing, but idiots, in in quotes, um, were very much an accepted part of society. So you know, so you'd be having people who were. Um, had learning disabilities living around you in a sort of daily existence. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that everything was fine for them because they were often the butt of jokes. They were targets for people who were fortune hunters, but they were round and about. You know, they were in families. You'd find them in as neighbours, as workmates, members of the community. And the book is really great at using a whole range of sources from slang dictionaries, criminal records, joke books, novels, art, caricatures, all of those kinds of things to bear on this. And what it shows is in the 18th century, despite the fact that they were, you know, mocked occasionally, idiots were often tolerated and sometimes defended by their contemporaries. In other words, people were quite accepting of them. Um, and as you say, also within sort of legal realms, to be an idiot meant that you were judged with a degree of leniency by people. Um, so they were, it wasn't medically defined in the way that you were describing, Sam, in the 19th century. So that is very much a sort of Victorian shift um, where this sort of tolerance where you just sort of rub along side by side each other within a sort of you know fairly sort of um wide-elbowed community um an embracing community this this tolerance gives way to something that is you know that that is more fearful, loathing of people. And actually, it becomes much more medicalised. So you have people defined by doctors as idiots. And 
you can see this through the medical literature you can see the way in which it's portrayed in um in literature i mean think here of charles dickens's portrayal of of barnaby rudge in in his novel um and you've got somebody here who is you know who is a sort of simpleton if we can use that phrase um who is sort of part sort of you know grown-up child and part sort of you know object of pity uh or you think about somebody like uh dostoyevsky's the idiot uh, which is sort of Russian novel, sort of mid-19th century. We're taking us out, ourselves out of Britain here. But, you know, the main sort of character there, uh, Prince Lev Nikolaevich Mishkin, uh, is somebody who's very sort of simple-minded, who's innocent and and pretty sort of gullible. Um, so, and I think what this leads to is the way that there are, that idiots are seen as threatening and fearful and this feeds into practices that move them out into different institutions um so sort of lock them up um put them into asylums those kinds of things there's then in the 20th century an even more sinister shift when the book moves on to looking what's happening elsewhere outside of uh the uk or outside of britain at the time um and it looks at the influence of eugenics and on public policy and particularly the way that that feeds into particular institutions or if we have a look at the treatment of people who have learning difficulties in in Nazi Germany um, so people who are mentally disabled um, in, in Nazi Germany and I think that's where it becomes much more more sort of sinister the book then moves to the present day where certainly in in the uk we've had people the closing down of asylums and um and people moving out back into the communities um so actually what you've done is you've gone back from you've gone back to a, a sort of an 18th century model where people were you know very much sort of rubbing shoulders within the communities and i think that's really fa absolutely fascinating um so there's a really it's a really sort of great sort of narrative arc that it that it achieves and a sort of chronological sort of shift that it charts what's really interesting also is the way in which ideas of disabilism uh, a mental disabilism connect with ideas of racism and this connection between um, between people who are seen as idiots and people who are seen as being of a, a an inferior race. So if you think about it, people with with Down syndrome are often were often referred to as Mongols, in other words, Mongolians. Uh, so so that's another sort of really interesting um, shift that it that it looks at. There was a fascinating um, case that I just wanted to share with you that I read about uh, in this book, which is this idea in the 18th century of idiots basically being prone to fortune hunters. And there's this wonderful, um, I say wonderful in the sense that it's wonderfully interesting, but also deeply upsetting case of a woman called Miss Fanny Fust, who late 18th century we're going to hear. Um, she is a, a young learning disabled woman um, in Bristol in 1787 and when she was 21 she was abducted taken away from her family and she was taken into France a priest was um, plied with drink and 
tricked into marrying her to somebody and then her mother uh, has to sort of track her down bring her back and then fight for her return at court uh, absolutely fascinating there are there's a whole case about this um you know hundreds of sort of pages of of manuscript details about it um and what what's really interesting about it is the way in which it was a whole gang that were plotting to steal her away to abduct her and but also then there is a there's a court scene and where she you know very much sort of comes to the fore and there's you know some real sort of agency and defiance uh, about her but the story the story is very sad because she's um she's going out for the day with her with her friend and they bump into some other people who invite them to go and and have strawberries and cream at the ostrich inn on the downs and her friend elizabeth ross who's her school friend protests and says no no we can't go and then they basically say to her don't be so foolish you've not been invited it would be discourteous for you to get into the carriage another carriage will come along and what that does is it separates the it separates Fanny Fust from her friend and then they manage to um, take her away take her off to France um, and then um, she's married off as I said uh, to this to this man um, her mother finds out and sends a series of detectives or agents uh, into France to find her and they they find her they manage to sort of bring her back but in but the case goes to court and it takes about four years for them to get her back uh and the mother takes out a commission of lunacy um so and she's um and then is able to sort of you know bring a court case what's fascinating here is the way in which we have the testimony of somebody who does have um you know does have um you know mental disabilities and you've got and what they do they ask her a sort of series of questions and they're quite clever questions they ask her did you give your consent to go to france with this man and her, her answer is yes do you like strawberries and cream yes i love strawberries and cream she says um did this man take you to france against your will again she says yes and then they say did you see this man in front of you this is the man that she was married would you like to marry him and of course she says yes and then they go round the entire committee and say would you like to marry this man would you like to marry this man would you like to marry this man and she says yes to all of these people and then they take a some some coins uh, out and they say here are four or five guineas would you swap this for your entire inheritance and she said yes and so actually by that clever questioning uh, they managed to sort of show the jury that she has in fact been totally and utterly duped so I think Sam this is a quite a sort of sad sort of sense of how um, the history of idiocy or the history of idiots is also about duping people but I think what's fascinating here is also the way in which you are writing it from a sort of an interior perspective that you're actually getting at the testimony of somebody who does have a disabled mind um, and I think that's really sort of that is 
tender and touching and and I think this is disability history at its very best so I think if you if you can go out and read uh, Simon Jarrett's those they called idiots the other material that I was that I was reading from is from a a group uh, called the story the open storytellers um, and there, if you Google, you can get a, a full transcript of the curious case of Miss Fanny Fust. Um, this was done a few years ago for Disability History Month, and these open storytellers, Clemmer Fleet and Nicola Grove, had done all this research, sort of uncovering this story, and then had performed it. Uh, I would have loved to have heard their performance of it, uh, but it is a really sort of great way of, of really... Um, you know, publicly disseminating um, disability history. So go and check that out, everyone. Amazing, James. That was uh, that was very impressive indeed. I think the the idea of um, taking advantage of uh, of people is interesting, and I came across this, and certainly the relationship between uh, idiots and idiocy as defined in the nineteenth century and eugenics. So the idea of um, uh, it's possible to improve the genetic quality of a of a of the human population, um, which is something that we were probably familiar with uh, most of all with Nazism, but was was certainly very uh, very very well known from the eighteen fifties onwards till the mid twentieth century. Um, this might help you kind of realise just how powerful it was. This is uh, an article called "The Causes of Idiocy," and it was published in Scientific American, so a very respectable journal, in December eighteen fifty. The near relationship by the blood of the parent seems to be the cause of, or at least it is the precedent fact to, many cases of idiocy. We do not suppose that this connection is of itself the cause of idiocy, but if there are any weaknesses or defects of body or mind or tendencies to disc uh, discase or oddities in the family, they may be overpowered or cease to appear in the next generation. If those who have them marry with strangers and mix their blood and life with those who have not these peculiarities, and thus the children may escape these imperfections or liabilities that otherwise might have been entailed upon them. But when two persons of the same blood and character unite together in marriage, their peculiarities are doubled in power by being combined in their children, and the odd or weak traits which were subordinate in the parents may predominate in the offspring. The parentage of 359 idiots was ascertained. In 17 families, the parents were near blood relations. In one of these families, there were five idiotic children born. In five, four each. In three, three each. In two, two each. And in six, one each. In these 17 families, 95 children were born, 44 idiots, 12 scrofulous and puny, one deaf, one a dwarf, 48 in all of low health or imperfect, and only 47 of even tolerable health. So I think that's a, it's a really powerful way of realising how people were thinking about idiots and idiocy in the 1850s. Um, there are a number of, of really interesting uh, uh, literature creations to do with idiots. Uh, Wordsworth's The Idiot Boy is a, is a fabulous poem. It's very long. It's too long to read out here. But I would urge you to go and check out Wordsworth's The Idiot Boy, which is actually a very touching poem about, um, about motherhood. And I also found a really interesting article, James, about... Um, about music for the feeble-minded, it was called, which is very interesting. It, I, I talked about music being used to heal um, army veterans in a in a recent podcast. I 
can't remember which one, possibly the one on board games, but I can't for the life of me remember how or why I ended up talking about that. Um, but certainly for the, um, the feeble-minded, there's some really interesting stuff and people looking at schools. So there were schools set up to um, help uh, educate those um, with uh, mental impairment in the 1840s, so late 1840s. And um, one rather clever historian uh, was trying to work out how important music was. So he counted the pianos. I thought it was a brilliant idea. Um, so the property, property inventory of uh, the New York School for 1886 lists five pianos valued at £100 each and an organ, uh, probably a harmonium, valued at £50. The Massachusetts School for Idiotic and Feeble-Minded Youth in 1869 had three pianos valued at £262.50. And then he argues that when one takes into account that the total valuation of all furniture and apparatus at the time in this school was £420, exclusive of the pianos, and that the school's horse was worth £150, um, that the only possible conclusion there is that the musical part of the curriculum was um, was very well supported. A couple of other examples. The Illinois Asylum for Feeble-Minded and Idiotic Children uh, moved into a new quarters. They spent $300 on a piano, which is an enormous part of their budget. And, um, and the article then goes on to um, to explore a number of musical concerts that were given by the kids in these schools and how generally well-received they were and how skillful the children were at music, even though some of them could barely read. It was a very heartwarming and clever piece of history. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, very good. Very, very clever. Simon. Um, I wanted to take this in a slightly different direction. And we've started off by looking at the sort of political terminology. We've then looked at the history of people with mental disabilities. We've then, you know, gone through um, the bit that you just talked about, which was the music for the feeble minded. And now I want to talk about the way that children use idiocy as an insult and call people idiots. And this is something, not just children, but how children are termed idiots. And this brings us not only to the sort of realm of education, but then also childhood culture and childhood play. And so I want to sort of, you know, talk about those sort of two ideas. I think in the past, we when we looked at the history of hats, I think we looked at Dunce's caps, didn't we? I think yeah. that was one of the things that we did in our podcast there. And so if you think about the way in which historically educationalists have 
picked out children who are you know seen as sort of slow at learning or stupid and labeled them as dunces you know singled them out forced them to stand in the corner of the of the classroom with a sort of paper hat sort of conical hat on their head a dunce's hat or dunce's cap and it shows you how people have been you know really sort of um treated miserably because of their you know their lack of sort of intellectual prowess um so i think that's one way of looking at it and there's a whole history of of the dunce's cap and a whole history of of education that sort of shifts um over time but then i was also struck by thinking about the way in which children are quite mean to each other and the way in which they sort of tease each other for being sort of dim-witted. This is really sort of going back to what I was saying about the 18th century and the sort of joke books and the way in which idiots were were sort of figures of fun. And a collection that I haven't talked about for a while but that I often dip into is the Opie uh, collection, which is these the Opie, Iona and Peter Opie, are these great experts on on the law and language of school children. And they did a big uh, oral history project in the 1950s and 1960s in England, a national one, hoovering up all sorts of evidence about childhood customs and I want to talk about some of the language that children used and then turn to another book um, that they that they wrote which is about children's games and have a look at some of the sort of make-believe games that children during the 60s the 1960s uh, played that involved you know children acting as as idiots and there's a wonderful uh, chapter um uh, called Unpopular Children, Jeers and Torments, which has a section called, which is titled, get this, Sam, Dafties, Fools and Dunces. And basically it's, um, you know, it's all about those kind of like nicknames and, you know, teasing words that you have for children who you see as a sort of, you know, as, as not particularly clever, as idiots, people who are, uh, to quote the phrase, daft in the head. And there's a little rhyme from Market Raisin, um, which reads, you're daft, you're potty, you're balmy, you ought to join the army. You got knocked out with a Brussels sprout, you're daft, you're potty, you're balmy. And there's all, <laughs> what, what, what surprised me here is just the variety of words for describing somebody as an idiot. Um, it's just somebody wanting in the upper story. So I'll, I'll just read you a few here. Bats, batty, barmy, crackers, a crackpot, daffy, dippy, dithering. In other words, you're, you're daft and dithering, wipe your chin and stop dribbling, which comes from Cleethorpes. A dizzy, a dope, dopey, dick, dotty, goofy, a goop, or in Scotland, a gawk, uh, a ninny, a nitwit, nutty, potty, a pothead, uh, you're daft, you're potty, you're made of treacle toffee, which comes from Newcastle. Uh, somebody can be cracked, cuckoo, loco, nuts, uh, not all there. Um, you're out of your wagon, is another phrase from Bishop Bishop Auckland. Uh, he's not plum, he's off his rocker. Uh, you're scatty, screwy, screery, which comes from Perth, off his chump, head, Nut, block, has a screw loose, a tile loose, is a bit touched, a bit wrong in the head, soft in the head, half-baked, a stoop, uh, and for some reason in Bishop Auckland, uh, a raja. Um, don't be so nutty, you dull ass. 
is is uh, an example. So that sort of being somebody being being nutty. Um, you can also call somebody a fool. And so there are all sorts of different ways of calling somebody a, a fool. So from Headington, uh, Willie Carey is a fool like a monkey on a stool. When he's dead, lay him on a bed and bake his head with gingerbread. Uh, and there's another one from Forfar, which is thought to date back to 1910. Oh, is a fool and a donkey at the school. If she had a longer tail, I would hang her up for sale. Well, that's a good one. Uh, from Market Raisin again, uh, Joe Egg. What a fantastic name. Joe Egg is a fool. He tied his stocking to a stool. When the stool begins to crack, all the beetles run up his back. And then we come from fool to dunce. Uh, dunce is slightly different. And really what you're thinking about here is somebody can be perfectly sort of good at games and, you know, and rational and sane and but actually lacks in scholastic abilities so you you know it's somebody who's not particularly good at school they're dense they're slow a thick head um a couple of little rhymes that that survive here silly dick he's got no brains soon he didn't have no veins um and then another one from Market Raisin. Why Market Raisin should throw up so many sort of dunce things? This is from 1898 from an English dialect dictionary. Dunce, dunce, double D, doesn't know is ABC. And then there's another one um, uh, which sort of, which merges the, the fool being a dunce type thing. Jimmy snaps is a fool, send him to the baby school, give him one, give him two, tell the teacher what to do. And there are all sorts of other sort of terms that are used. So somebody can be soft in the head, flat, fat head, um, a block head, numb skull, knowing nothing, a clodpole, a thick head, big head. Uh, somebody can also be a booby. Uh, to boob something is to make a mess of it or to get it wrong. You can be a clot, a dumb clot or a dumbless thing. Uh, you can be a scatterbrain, featherhead, empty vessel, um, or, or even a, a dilly-dally daydream, or a Joseph after Joseph's dream. <laughs> and so it goes on. Um, I think I think when we've sort of talked about this in the past, people have sort of have got in touch and sort of said how cruel uh, these children are. Yes, these are absolutely... I mean, we laugh because they're funny nowadays. I think to have this... The, the, the important point is to have these kind of... This sort of teasing you know, levelled at you, it's for it's for children, you know, can be deeply, deeply upsetting. Um, the final thing I want to end with is a little sort of little foray into another book by Iona and Peter Opie that I talked about earlier on, uh, which is Children's Games in Street and Playground. And one of the games that they talk about there, we're looking at a sort of similar time, so in the 1950s, 1960s, um, and one of the favourite games of children of this time was to play being at school. So basically to, to act up being at school. So there's a there's a very good sort of um, game that's described, which is called Johnny Green, and it's described by a 12-year-old from Langham. And basically it's a sort of an acting game and... So I'll, I'll read you it out here. So and th these are the sort of instructions for it. You you are all supposed to be in school when the teacher comes in. She says to Johnny Green, who is abs who was absent yesterday, what was wrong with you yesterday, Johnny Green? He says, I killed a fly and had to go to its funeral. Johnny Green gets a thrashing, and while he is still out on the floor after his thrashing, he says, 
What was wrong with you before? What was wrong with you the day before yesterday? Johnny Green replies, My mother made an apple tart and I had to stay home and get a piece. He gets another thrashing for that. After giving him the thrashing, the teacher sends him to his seat. Who will give me? Who will go for some caramels for me? She asks. Johnny Green says he will. He comes back and says, The camel's humps won't come to the door. There are roars of laughter. He gets another thrashing and gets the rest of the children into trouble for laughing. So there we are. That's a sort of imaginary play world of children acting up and being idiotic. There we are, Sam. Mm. I think that's the end of all I have to say about idiocy. <laughs> Do you have anything else to add to our no, I'm dear all, listeners? I'm all done. I'm all done. I hugely enjoyed that, though. Well, she'll come back with um, with some more uh, related information, maybe. Yes. Um, please, guys, follow me on social media. I'm at Dr. Sam Willis. And if you're interested in maritime and naval history, please check out the Mariner's Mirror podcast. And if you'd like to follow me on social media, you can do so on Twitter at James Daybell. You can follow the podcast at Unexpected Pod. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can come and befriend us there. Check out our website, historiesoftheunexpected.com, for everything in our back catalogue. And also, since it is coming up to Christmas, signed copies of our many books. Sam, I think they make incredibly good stocking fillers, don't you? Brilliant. 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 It's exactly what they were there there for. Wonderful. It's exactly what they for. (laughs) You can wrap them up nicely, have a lovely signature. It will make somebody's Christmas for them. And share the most amazing history facts around the fire. There we go. Exactly. That's it for now, guys. Cheerio. Back soon. Bye. Bye, guys. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.